I'm Lon Shaver, Vice President with Silver Court Metals. Uh, Silver Court Metals is a diversified precious metals producer. Main assets are operating mines in China that produce silver, lead, and zinc. Uh, we also have a uh, significant investment in other companies, including New Pacific Metals, which has a very promising uh, portfolio of projects in Bolivia. And we have a large cash balance, which we'd like to deploy for new growth opportunities in the precious metal space. Lon, good to speak to you. Um, I think we, we spoke for us about a year ago, um, actually. So thanks for coming on the show. Do appreciate that. I'm intrigued about the story because the geopolitics of, of the moment uh, mean that people are concerned about jurisdictional risk. Um, in fact, trying to define what tier one uh, jurisdictions mean anymore. You appear to be a Chinese silver story. Is that right? Well, we're a Canadian company, uh, and our, our current production comes from mines in China, but we have other assets that uh, uh, I think in the overall mix mean that we're not just a Chinese silver mining company. Right, but your money comes from the operations in China. You've got, you got three assets um, there that people will, will point to, and you, you know, and I, I know you're trying to now tell me that you've got other options available to you, but you, you are. Your, your fortunes are linked to those mines in China, though. So is it fair for people to kind yeah, of judge and you on that and basis? That's been, and, and then that's been a very profitable business. And that's what's allowed us to grow these add this asset base um, uh, without having to uh, dilute equity uh, shareholders by issuing more more shares. Right. But if I, if I look at your share price then since you know, mid-2020, mid it's been a sort of you know, steady decline um, down. And we, what, what do you put that to? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you put that down to? Is it, is it, do you think it's the, the China factor? Is it the silver price, the precious metal price uh, market more broadly? I mean, what, 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 what's at fault? Well, I think after that run up in 2020, I think everyone has come under some pressure. Uh, but I do think the, the pressure has been amplified because of that perception of uh, being in China. And, uh, and I think with uh, sort of what the political tone has, uh, has become starting in late 2020, I think that has weighed upon us. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, it's a bit overblown from a perception standpoint. Well, well perception well, perception's reality, right? So is, is, it, is it overblown or do you think people are putting too much store by that? So do, why should they not be concerned about the Chinese factor, especially in light of what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, et cetera? You know, can Canadian companies operate safely in China? Will your businesses be disrupted at any point in the future? Well, I think to ask that question, I think one needs to look at other companies and other sectors that are also have significant investments in China. And so things like uh, Tesla uh, have made big investments. Uh, they have um, uh, probably uh, more interesting assets uh, for, uh, for a government that might want to uh, ex exert control. Uh, there's other companies, I'll give you an example. There are other companies, US companies in China. Johnson Controls has a, a car battery plant. So we produce lead concentrates. They get fed into the domestic uh, smelter stream uh, that produces finished lead. You know, what if some of that lead ends up in a car battery plant owned by Johnson Controls? Is Johnson Controls being penalized by its shareholders for having a battery plant in China? I think so. It's just really the investor community isn't taking the time to look in and realize all the uh, the amount of assets investment and, and financial return. I, everyone's familiar with Apple. Uh, where would they be without Foxconn producing all the componentry that goes into an Apple phone? But I don't think Apple gets a Chinese discount. Right. Okay. So we're saying Chinese, first, first your concern and those examples is companies operating successfully in China. So perhaps it is overblown. People's perception 
about the Chinese risk is overblown. Um, talk to me about the numbers then, because then, then what I need to understand the fundamentals to your business, like say, it's, it, it, in a very meaningful way, I don't really need to understand, you know, can you mine? You can mine. You're mining, you're selling uh, metals, and you're making money. So talk to me about the, the, the financial uh, situation and what it contributes, and, and then perhaps we'll lead on to, well, what do you do with that money? So if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, most recent financial uh, year that ended in March, you know, revenue just over 200 million, uh, EBITDA just under 100 million, operating cash flow of 107 million, uh, free cash flow uh, between 45 and 50 million, you know, US. And, and that's really like a track record that goes back uh, starting when the, the mines were developed, acquired and developed going back to 2004. So there's been, if you look through the financial results, there's been a long history of of profitability, uh, generating you know positive cash flows and building up an asset base, which is you know why we have 213 million in cash. We, you know we haven't raised any equity since 2010. Um, so where where did that cash come from? It came from the uh, the solid fundamentals of the business. Right, and and where's this money sitting? Because obviously, I know you're doing share buybacks. You you know you're doing dividends. Um, but are you able to extract money? Out of China easily, you know. If, yep. I, if, if I look to some yep. of these South American stories, people can say, "I can't get my money out of Argentina. I can't get my money out of well, fill in the blank South American com- country." So it's okay for you guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very straightforward. Anyone who looks through the financial results will, will see there's uh, a 25% income tax rate, uh, subject to some actual some rebates we get for being classified as a high tech uh, enterprise, uh, and then there's a 10% withholding tax for. For funds that get flowed out of the country, and so it's quite straightforward. And our cash is, you know, our actual cash is held some of it within China, some in other parts in Asia, and some in North America. So that's not really a concern. If we had things that uh, we wanted to do with that cash, but like we did in 2010 when we uh, attempted to make uh, an acquisition of, of a gold project in uh, in South America, uh, that cash would be available for us. Right. Okay. So you, I, I guess, like I said, I'm not necessarily concerned about you, you telling me that you're good at mining. What I want to understand is how long does this kind of annuity stream of cash continue? What, what's the life of mine? What's your expiration program in terms of extending that life of mine look like? Um, I mean, for, for an underground, a narrow vein, high grade underground mine, you know, we have an exceptional mine life. Uh, for the Ying Mining Complex, which is the, the biggest asset that we have, based on the last technical report on reserves alone, it was a 20-year mine life. Um, so, uh, so we're not really uh, not really worried in terms of mine life. And we've actually, in the last two calendar years, uh, at Ying, did uh, 630,000 meters of drilling, uh, following up on some some new clues and some new discoveries, including some gold zones within the footprint of our existing mines that we're uh, looking to bring on stream and expand our production. Okay, so you, you believe that the, the revenue stream is sustainable for some period of time. I, I'm assuming the BYP and the GC mine, uh, similar work being done there, is there? Yeah, I mean, BYP is an exception. It's on care and maintenance right now. Um, and it is a mine that we're looking to reopen. Uh, it used to be a, uh, a lead and zinc operation primarily, uh, but we've identified a gold resource. And when, um, uh, when we get that permitted, we'll have more clarity on uh, bringing that back into production. But the, uh, the GC mine is very similar to Ying in, in terms of the, the silver lead zinc that it produces. 
uh, and it's got a mine life not quite as long as Ying, but it's had very healthy uh, 13 plus years based on the last report. Okay, so so if I look at the cash that you're producing, and I think lots of questions sent in around, well, what are you going to do with it? So like I said, you know, share, share buybacks and dividends, much, much appreciated, I'm sure, by your shareholders. Um, but do you reinvest into China? Do you, and again, sorry, bang on about jurisdictional risk, but in this market, I think it's appropriate. Do you invest outside of China? And if so, where? And, you know, what sorts of targets are you looking at? Yeah, I'd say I'd say both uh, in terms of investment. So we're really going to look at and go where the opportunities are. Uh, so there are some opportunities in and around uh, where we're active in China, but I'd say mainly uh, our uh, corporate development initiatives are looking outside of China, in the Americas, in Africa, uh, primarily these days. Um, and that would be looking at silver, but also at uh, gold projects. Right. And, and kind of, and so this is a bit more of a generic one, but I wouldn't mind your input here. But we, we've had interesting discussions with various CEOs on, on panels and so forth about, you know, what defines a tier one jurisdiction, jurisdiction anymore when you kind of got some of the, you know, NGO activist type activity going on down South America. You could argue the same thing in, in, in Canada. It's got a little bit more uh, expensive and a little bit more difficult to get permits and licenses in some states, uh, in the U.S. Um, do you, does that kind of skew your thinking or is your, your thinking um, adapting to that knowledge and saying, well, actually, do you know what? China, whatever people may think, may actually be a better place to do our business. I mean, I think, I think every, every jurisdiction has its pros and cons. And uh, certainly where we're active in China, we've got good relationships. I think we can move things forward. But, you know, there are, uh, you know, there's bureaucracies everywhere that you have to, uh, to deal with. And, and so... I think that's that's where sometimes some of these safe jurisdictions are really not as safe because if you get hung up for two, three, four years longer than expected in a permitting process and blow your budgets out, I think that's where you lose your return on these projects. Uh, other jurisdictions that are maybe uh, not uh, or, or is, are perceived as more risky, uh, you might be able to get traction and get a license to operate and move ahead and, and start to deliver economic returns on on the project sooner. So I think we're we're open to that and look at everything on a case by case basis. Okay, and if I if I kind of go to some of the, again some of the conversations that I've had with um, various companies, they kind of look to China and they kind of um, well they're less than complimentary about doing business in China in terms of the ethical standards apply. So in the context of ESG, is, is China any different from anywhere else in terms of their demands of the mining and extraction industry? Actually, I think if, if, you, uh, if you spoke with our operating colleagues, the standards and the scrutiny and the oversight and the, the degree of red tape is very high. And uh, it's really because of the size of the organization and the, the focus that we've had you know, in the 17 plus years we've been operating, uh, that we've um, you know been able to adapt and follow along with a lot of the uh, the, the new regulations, uh, and that's why all of our mines have uh, this green mine status, which is really a requirement to be uh, operating in China these days. Right. Okay. No, so I'm always always intrigued by that because I think you know there's a. There's a tendency to kind of um, show sort of rather grim images of, um, and certainly like things like rare earths industry, extraction industry. It it it, it doesn't look pretty. But so and he 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 regulates that. Is it on, again on a province by province basis? 
Uh, it's a range. I mean, there's there's uh, from a that green mine program that I was describing, and there is a provincial level green mine, and then there's a national level. But as it relates to the operations themselves, I mean, there are uh, different oversight boards related to uh, environmental health and safety, all different types of regulations, and uh, you know, we deal with a lot of inspections and visits uh, to review things. Uh, the amount of integration in terms of information, uh, you know, just by way of example, uh, our tailings dams have, you know, seismic monitoring to, to, to see if there's been any ground movement. You know, those are actually wired in uh, and the information is fed directly to the regulators at the same time as it's fed to our teams. And so the minute something might happen, uh, the phones are ringing in everyone's office at the same time. And there really is, to be honest, quite a collaborative effort to, to work on uh, um, you know, remedying anything that, that may come up. I, I, think, I think the one thing that's, that's missed is that, uh, that the regulations, in fact, have always been in place and have been there. Uh, but what has been lacking in past years has been the, uh, the enforcement and the monitoring. And what's happened in recent years with the change of government at the at the top level has really been a focus on eradicating uh, any kind of uh, you know corruption or sloppiness in you know execution and monitoring, um, and so that's what we've seen uh, you know as an organization is that the the amount of uh, interaction and monitoring review has has gone up immensely. Okay. Let's come back to the share price, right? So I make money when I invest in a company and the share price goes up. I, I appreciate dividends and I appreciate share price can, can help, but th that's how I, I, as a, like a retail investor, would, would make money. So what, given the optionality you have with cash and the fact that you are, you are creating cash, you're, you're, you're a net positive cash creation company. You've got your new, new Pacific, um, option. You've got cash to make acquisitions. You've got cash to do exploration at, at your your current operating uh, mines. But in a market like this, where when companies make announcements, they seem the market shrugs its shoulder and go, I kind of don't care, right? So that's the current market. But even before that, it was, you know, you're on downward trend. What do you think you need to do? You've been in mar the, a market's guy for a long time. What's it going to take to kind of change the direction of the of the of the share price? Uh, and to that end, do you think the market is valuing you properly at the moment on the basis of the fundamentals which you're showing? Well, I, I'd say to the second question, no, I don't think we're being valued properly. Uh, um, and I do think what is required is to find uh, an investment that we can make uh, to deliver you know good financial returns like our other assets have been. And, and some of the, the commentary about what we could do with the cash is, is a little bit of the because uh, I you know I, I see the uh, I see the commentary as well and people always ask the question about dividends and, and the buybacks or a special dividend you know the challenge with that is is right now we you know we, we do have three uh, major assets that are contributing value to the company if we do something with that cash in terms of a, a, a buyback, a massive buyback or a big special dividend, that's kind of a one-time deal. It's like that whole thing of if somebody's hungry, you know, do you buy them a fish or do you teach them to fish? I think if we use that cash and we acquire a business that can again deliver uh, long-term returns, that will be a better um, uh, result for shareholders in the end rather than just deploying it and then um, Losing one of those, you know, value contributors in our in our business. Right, but what, what does that mean though? Does that mean we, if we did go out and buy something, do we go and buy a development company where we can, you know, use our balance sheet to 
get that into through into some kind of robust production and therefore cash flow? Is it well? Let's just reinvest organically into what we've already got, uh, and that that story will grow. I mean, what what precisely are you advocating? Well, I think we can do both. I think we can reinvest organically, and that's what the the benefit of those those positive uh, you know cash flow businesses that we have. Uh, but ideally, we would like to do uh, deploy that into a development asset that we can build another source. Uh, and diversify our cash flow streams, though another source of cash flows, you know, based on a solid mining asset. And, uh, you know, that's what, you know, that's what we set out to do in 2020 when we uh, negotiated the, the deal to acquire Guyana Goldfields. Uh, we saw an excellent development asset. We saw a challenge company with an open pit uh, transitioning to an underground um, uh, development model that we thought would, would be a great fit for us. And uh, it's the bulk of what we looked at in 2021 when we signed uh, over 30 CAs and looked at uh, 30 different projects in depth in that year. Why do these things fall over? I mean, I, I had one CEO come on here and say to me, I am currently looking or in the process of looking at 35 different um, uh, economic studies. I'm, I'm talking about definitive feasibility studies. He said, but five of them, are investable because the the economic studies don't actually always mean economic in the conventional sense. Um, in in the sense, I'd want to invest in them. Is, are you rejecting a lot of these CEAs, or is it just competitive out there? Or I mean, what, what how how do they fall over? Well, well, I think there's a there's a few a few questions in what you've asked there. Um, when we look at things, we obviously take a, a good look at geology because geology will be a big determinant in uh, the margin that you're going to derive from a, from a, an operation. Uh, so we look at that in, in depth. But I also think the model is a little bit broken in, in terms of the junior mining space because uh, you can drill off, you can identify a resource, uh, you can, you know, based on uh, sort of what the appetite of the market is, you can shift that resource to make it look, you know, bigger and lower grade and get engineers uh, to deliver you a project that, that will um, you know, give you the, the results in terms of headline numbers of ounces and apparent economics. Uh, but then when you get in and you're the group that actually has to live with it and build it, uh, you realize that the work that's been done has been pretty superficial. So, so we actually, when we look at things, we really don't put a lot of weight on the existing studies. Uh, we really take a ground up starting from scratch approach, going back to the raw geology. Then we'll build our own our own models and our own mine plans, our own capex budgets based off of that. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting. I guess a conversation for another day, but potentially. But um, you know, the, the kind of re rates that companies get as they move through those kind of study phases. Um, but the reality is, is somewhat different if you're talking to a bunch of mine builders because they can they see what uh, what the problems are and what the opportunities yeah. are. Uh, well, and. And, and I think you can tie that right back to what you see in the marketplace, which is the fact that the, the projects that have been identified and are moving ahead, you know, how many of them really are delivered on time and on budget? And how many of them actually, when you try to get to the project you said you're going to deliver, uh, the cost, the timeframes, the results are nowhere near what you expected. Yeah, I, I know, it's fascinating. Um, Okay, and, and, and kind of just in terms of um, kind of combining um, the kind of China factor with things like inflation, are you guys seeing on the ground your costs rising 
as we're seeing out here in the West. I know there's a lot of kind of price gouging and opportunistic movements, but is it, can you, is it predictable in China, the cost side of things? I mean, I think there is there is some cost pressure. Uh, I'd say that cost pressure is less, just given the proximity to the numbers of different suppliers of goods and services that that we you know that we rely on. Um, you know, we've certainly uh, seen the uh, changes in currency have an impact, and uh, most recently, that's been an improvement for us. And so, costs in U.S. dollar terms, um, you know, have gone down. Uh, with uh, the, the weakening of the RMB that, that we've seen, uh, you know, the spring, um, where we've seen some cost pressure has been uh, certainly in uh, labor costs. Uh, but ironically, uh, the, um, the the situation in China with uh, property development uh, coming off has meant that there's a lot more people available that are, that used to be involved in construction. Uh, so those are again, you know, labor-intensive, uh, heavy industry-type jobs that. Um, you know that that aren't uh, being picked up uh, right now, so so that's probably a bit of an improvement for us. I'd say, though, overall, just being in China helps to uh, insulate us a little bit from some of the costs that uh, people in the West are seeing. Right, and and what about energy costs? Because I'm sort of intrigued about again the geopolitics, because uh, you know you're you're in the mix there, um, oil and presumably gas in a greater number seen from Russia at a discount. Want to see? So, are you benefiting from that? Yet, I, I can't say I've seen any detailed studies in terms of, of what the uh, what the costs are. I'd say, if anything, though, I mean, what we're doing as a company, like most of our peers, is looking at you know how do we shift, uh, how do we electrify, where is that electricity coming from? Uh, there's a big push to to become uh, you know bigger in terms of the renewable space. Um, so, I, I guess it's a bit of a race a race to the end here as to um, you know. What, what hits first, higher prices in, in terms of the, uh, the fossil fuels, or are we able to get to uh, more electri- electrification? Right. And, um, okay, and, and just, again, so I'm bouncing around a bit here, but I'm just so intrigued about how you guys think about things like this, because it's, like I say, we, we don't need to focus on the mining bit. We focus on all of the other variables which affect your margins, because your focus is, you know, very much on free cash flow. Um, so silver market has, well, it kind of stalled. I, I, I think it's fair to say, as has gold. You know, expectation is it should be way, way higher, but it's not. Um, are you at all concerned about that one, or these prices? Are you happy? I mean, how do you view the market? Uh, certainly not as happy as we were before. I can't say we're we're concerned looking at, or as concerned as maybe some of our peers would be given our, our better cost structure. Um, I, I think just, you know, being a mining company and as a price taker, you know, we have just have to constantly looking at, you know, how do we uh, trim back and focus on maintaining margins in any, any way that we can. Um, circling back to one of your previous, you know, questions though is, you know, given our cost structure, uh, I do think that we represent a defensive way for investors to gain positioning in the precious metals and silver in particular. Um, just when you look back at sort of what the peer group had to do during that nuclear winter, how many shares got issued to put cash on the balance sheet, uh, you know, even when silver prices were lower than they were now, you know, we were making money and, and accumulating cash. So I think um, that's something that, uh, you know, we have as a bit of a, a backup plan. Um, but obviously, we'd like to see uh, commodity prices higher. 
and are, are optimistic that this is a bit of a blip um, that we're experiencing right now. But do you think that, you know, do you think that the, the, the kind of old rules don't apply anymore? Because it's, it's kind of like there's a expectation for the markets historically, if the markets were doing the sorts of things that they're doing at the moment, the geopolitics doing what it's doing at the moment, precious metal markets should be, well, on the up, let's, let's put it like that, um, whatever number you want to put on that, something you know conservative or something extreme, they should be moving in these markets. So why do you think things are discombobulated? Well, it's, it's funny, I, you know, you use the word and we talked about this word should. It's a great word. You use that twice in, in your last question. Uh, and I, I certainly agree. I think it should be it should be higher. Um, I, I think what happens in these times of turmoil, I think people are really looking at um, safety, security and, and selling everything that has any kind of liquidity to it. And uh, so I think that's weighing on commodity prices and the precious metals in particular right now. Right, but do you think there's a kind of component of this uncertainty in the marketplace? Obviously, look, you're, you're big institutional kind of, um, components of what you do, but the, the, the retail component that you have is there for liquidity and, 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 and um, that kind of helps um, things immensely. Do you think this, it's not just kind of risk off because I'm concerned about the, what the government's going to do. It's risk off because I'm concerned that I just don't have the same disposable income discretionary spend that I, uh, once did. That's what's making me nervous. Well, I, I think that's I think that's the case. I just look at what's happening in the equity markets, the cryptocurrency markets, uh, the concern about real estate markets. I mean, I, I think people are going to be re- making those those portfolio readjustments across the board, given what's going on. But will it come back? And, will it come back though, Lon? Well, I, I I think it will. Um, I think it will. It's just a, a factor of uh, getting people, you know, getting their sense sorted out, and you know, what are, what are the governments doing with respect to rates? Um, what are they going to do? Uh, trying to, you know, balance that and, and also provide stimulus to avoid a recession. You know, all of these things right now, I think, lead to a lot of questions and uncertainty, and uh, and that's the that's the challenge. Right, and and that's sort of I'm um, sort of kind of get into things like this, but um, given the amount of cash that you're throwing off, and given the kind of vagaries of the market at the moment, and it's been a couple of years of sort of downward pressure on your share price, your institutional shareholders they they must be talking to you, they must be asking you know what, what next, and you know are, are they making demands of of you at the moment, and um, you know and 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 is, is does part of that make you think well. Why be public anymore? We're at that point where maybe we can go private. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think anyone can ask that question when you when you look at that, that valuation scenario that, that we're facing, given uh, the market cap relative to those other assets. Uh, I think people though who follow and understand the company aren't really asking the questions because they they know that you know we are uh, caught up in what's happening to our entire peer group for the most part. Uh, as we talked about, maybe amplified a little bit because of the uh, additional perceptions on, on China. Uh, but I think, you know, what we've set out to do, we've we've been consistent. Uh, you know, we've not gone out and done bad acquisitions just to deliver an acquisition to the market. Uh, but we are looking. You know, we would like to find something, and there's definitely catalysts uh, down uh, down the road here. 
and uh, obviously New Pacific is a big component of our of our value and then that value stack. And what's going on with New Pacific is, is to be honest, quite exciting, given that the flagship project is uh, moving ahead into the permitting and mine planning stage. And this is uh, Silver Sand that uh, published uh, its inaugural resource in uh, 2020. But there's been a new discovery at uh, another project called Carangas, which looks very promising. And uh, waiting on some more news this summer, um, but certainly uh, it's starting to uh, attract attention um, from, my, from what I'd say, you know, people in the know in the mining sector in a similar way that Silver Sand attracted those kinds of followers and those people in the early days uh, when Silver Sand was being um, basically discovered and developed. Right. So, well, no, I appreciate that. And I think we've spoken to them. You know, it, that, that's really exciting uh, in, indeed. Um, is that maybe the opportunity here in a market like this. We're seeing a lot of cash-constrained uh, companies too, you know, yeah. mini-flags, advanced ones. So you've got yeah. a sense of there's a lot of data on which to go on. You're not saying let's let's go invest in an exploration place, but um, are, are there many of those conversations going on, those advanced I know you've got 30 CEAs, but how many of those are kind of meaningfully advanced um, stories? Yeah, I'd say out of that, we, to your point, we we cut a lot of those and, and you know, terminated the review. There's still a few that are ongoing that we're, we're in discussions with and monitoring. Um, and, uh, you know, based on what the market is um, for those companies, um, there, there's a bit of a, even though we're all down, it's a bit of a relative trade. And uh, so if there's an opportunity to pick up a company uh, or a project that looks like a great development asset and on a relative basis, uh, yes, we might be depressed, but their share price is depressed. We can get a deal done and then we can go and build a great project uh, with that cash balance and the cash flow that we're generating. You know, that's a that's a way for us to, uh, you know, again, add another uh, element to the story here. Well, I, th- well, I think I think the shares are relative. Cash isn't. You got it. They don't. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. I'm saying, yeah. R- relative from the standpoint of, if we're looking at that target's uh, uh, acquisition cost, the acquis- acquisition cost for that target, you know, it's definitely down in uh, in absolute terms, uh, and so that uh, certainly uh, you know w- would help in terms of negotiating a, a transaction. And I think, I think, from comments and conversations we've had. Um, people that we've talked to recognize that taking our shares in a transaction uh, where we're adding a new asset, a new element of the story provides them with an opportunity to participate in a re-rate. So I think that that's something that we can provide uh, to some of these um, uh, project developers where if they get taken out by uh, some other companies, might not have that big of an impact on the acquirer's share price. And so it really is, that's it. That's the deal. Okay, brilliant. Well, look, um, look Lon, thanks for introducing the story to uh, to me and, uh, you know, our subscribers. Appreciate appreciate that. It's really intriguing um, position you find yourself uh, in at the moment. Perhaps we could next time, if you come back on, do a little bit of digging around the kind of exploration at the organic component of the of, of your program. Um, I'd be intrigued. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's been it's been a very, as, as I mentioned, it's been a big program, lots of time and energy, and then that is factoring into uh, our planning, our, our decisions going forward on our existing assets. Brilliant. Okay. Lon, appreciate your time. See you soon. Thank you, Matt. Talk to you again.